As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to, excuse me, may I have some more? I am Brad Kramer. My co-host is Christine Struble. So thematically, much of what I was hoping to talk about in this episode is either directly or indirectly tied into the impending start of spring this weekend. And one of the things that I was really interested in hearing you talk about, you spend an awful lot of time with your privileges and your access at both Disney and Universal in Orlando. And being that you are the grand poobah for Food Sided, which is obviously a food-related site, and then we do a food podcast, um, most of what you do at the parks, unless you're there with your boys just enjoying yourself, is food-related. So I thought it would be interesting for me, and hopefully for people listening, for you to share some of the new discoveries that you're making from a food standpoint at the assorted parks, something that you've tried recently or places that you've tried recently that you thought were great, or even as people head back into Florida and head back into Orlando to hit the parks, old standbys of yours that are on your favorites list, sort of an insider's guide to eating at Universal and Disney. Uh, sure, happy to. So one of the big pieces of news that was announced over the weekend um, at Universal Orlando, they chose to extend their Mardi Gras celebration. So uh, this year it's a little different than in years past since we have social distancing and capacity at theme parks are a little more li uh, limited than years past. So uh, by extending the Mardi Gras celebration to April the 11th, they are giving both people who are coming for spring break, which uh, if you look at the Orlando area, the influx of visitors is great. 
which is important for tourism because Florida relies on tourism. But, uh, you know, specifically at Universal, it gives even people who are locals an opportunity to go back and sample some more of the, the bites that they're offering at Mardi Gras 2021. Uh, there's over 100 different food and beverage op- options. And you have, this year they called it the Carnival of Flavors. Um, so it's not just the traditional New Orleans favorites, like you get beignets and a crawfish boil or an etouffee or jambalaya. You, they take you across the globe. And um, anything from a schnitzel from Germany to mm. some Brazilian um, items, I, I will say like the Trinidadian uh, vegetarian, it's like a pea pancake bite like dough thing with a spicy chutney is really good um so it's it's a lot of variety it is kind of like you know going through a global exploration of flavors and all the booths are spread out throughout universal studios so you get to walk around and enjoy the park and and sample everything and the bites are small enough that you can eat a whole bunch and not you know get overwhelmed um and it also entices you to go back another visit because you probably missed either a, you know, great uh, Cuban coffee or the gigantic Bloody Mary that's um, that people are talking about because it has so many accoutrements on top of the, the drink that it turns into a meal. So I think Universal's done a really good job with that for their springtime offering um, right now. Epcot has their taste of the International uh, Flower and Garden Festival going on. And this year, that event is going on through July 5th, I believe. Um, And it's a little smaller than years past, um, not necessarily limited in space uh, because it is throughout World Showcase and um, some other parts of the theme park. But, you know, uh, the menus are a little different. They're everything's spread out, of course, for social distancing. But some of the um, changes they made this year and some of the new additions are really exciting. Anything from they have like more of like a brunch option, mm. which for another time we can talk about how to do brunch around Epcot, which is like my favorite thing to do on a Sunday. Oh, that would um, be a fun conversation. But um, the, you know they have the, the avocado toast, which you you know want and people enjoy. You know Mexico has some great offerings. They've brought back um, something similar uh, that they've offered at both Food and Wine and Festival of the Arts this year called Festival Favorites, where they have dishes from years past that have that were people's most popular choices. So, like a key lime pie is back. Um, it, and a few other ones. They um, two things that I did find really interesting uh, on one of my most recent visits there is they have um, a a it's a dessert, but it's a little. It's not like a super sweet dessert. It's a beet mousse profiterole. So if you if hmm. uh, so it, you know profiterole is basically like a cream puff, and it oh. has a crust on top. So it's a little sweet, but then the inside the single is, best vessel in all of dessert eating, by the way. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, when it's done well, but I mean, like you could fill it with mashed potatoes and I'd be good to go. Well, <laughs> it's not like an underbaked cream puff. Cause then that's, you know, icky, but, yeah. uh, 
a really good one and, and they can be small. They don't have to be the gigantic size ones that you get, you know, at the Wisconsin State Fair. And, and these are like a two biter um, one and it's got this mousse that's made with beets and it's a vibrant color and it comes with candy pecans and a little bit of creme fraiche. And I would, if you get it, I recommend taking the candy pecans and put them inside the profiterole. So you have a little crunch with everything. So it makes a really good bite. Um, and then similar to Festival of the Arts, um, the Moroccan marketplace that they have in the back of World Showcase. Recently, Disney took over all of the Moroccan restaurants mm. at Epcot. Um, and the offerings that they did again, for this festival are probably some of the most exciting ones. Um, in addition to a seafood couscous with that is a really big plate of food for what it offers with mussels and shrimp and, and preserved lemons, um, really flavorful. They have this dessert, which is a cake and it's a, it's a denser cake because Moroccan cakes tend to be, um, a little heavier, but it has a saffron simple syrup on it. And then it has a, and then it's topped with a fig compote. So if you haven't had that with their glass of sangria, that was uh, one of my favorite bites from from the from uh, Epcot Flower and Garden. I mean, truthfully, there's so many options that it, it's hard to name all of them. From the poached lobster with uh, the citrus vinaigrette to even this um, honey spoon bread with bacon on top. And you basically can go to Epcot and, you know, eat your way or around the, the theme park. And, and right now, um, theme parks, even the overall capacity is limited, but they are getting more crowded right. because, you know, people are more comfortable with travel. Everyone does have to, um, wear their masks while you are out and walking around and any theme park, whether it's Disney or universal um, at their food festivals, their requirements are you can only take your mask off and eat and drink while you are stationary. So that helps people to feel a little more comfortable. It does have a different atmosphere versus uh, what you do, you know, previously where you walk around with a, a drink in your hand and a bucket of popcorn and, right. and roll. So you don't have that as much. Um, but, you know, they're, they're trying... I think everyone's trying to get back a little bit of what they remember. And we've spent the past year, you know, trying to recreate some of those things at home. If you look at both Disney and Universal, they released many recipes so people could recreate those authentic dishes that they loved at home. I mean, there you can go and make your own Dole Whip at home. The, the exact recipe is out there. Um, Granted. I still remember the Parmesan mashed potatoes. Hey, here I a second reference to mashed potatoes in a few minutes at Chef Mickey's in the Contemporary Hotel. I haven't had those in many, many, many years, but it's, you, you mentioned the Dole Whip, which is obviously big in Frontierland, but uh, the Parmesan mashed potatoes at Chef Mickey's. And I always like the coriander chicken wings at the Polynesian and they sent out at Father's Day last year, Disney sent those out and you know, Universal will never reveal how to make a real butter beer. That will, that is Chef Steve's creation and that will stay with that gentleman um, forever. 
but there's other dishes that you can find. I mean, if um, like when Al Roker released the um, his avocado toast recipe when they launched Today Cafe, you can recreate that. It's at, at home. It you know it, it might not you know because it's coming out of the home kitchen, it might not exactly be the same. Right. But a lot of those dishes can and, and should you know be done at home because it offers that of your vacation or, or your memory back again. And that's the whole importance of enjoying food. It, it's supposed to make you smile. It's supposed to make you feel good. Food is that part that keeps bringing people back. Even just this past week, last week, Frito-Lay announced that they have become the ex, um, exclusive snack provider for Six Flags. So however that partnership plays out, that's going to drive people to go to that theme park. Right. And Frito-Lay has Ruffles. That is correct. And you should own Ridges. Do you own and, your Ridges? Uh, I'm a traditionalist, and that's the perfect segue. You, you couldn't have laid that one out even uh, any better if you tried. Um, <laughs> one of the two interviews we have on this episode, you chatted with rapper... T-Pain, and he is now featured in a new commercial for Ruffles and owning his ridges. And I, um, before we, we run that interview, I didn't know what to expect because um, you, you hear rapper and you think, well, they're going to be aloof or not have much to say or going to stay very on point because it is a, a product endorsement for Ruffles and their Own Your Ridges um, campaign. But he was awesome. And the people hear that in a second, but he was engaging. He, for lack of a better word, um, he has a philosophy about owning your ridges and how that comes into play for him and his approach to music and and how he feels people should approach, approach their lives. And uh, I thought it was a really refreshing interview that people enjoyed. Did, did, did you enjoy talking to him? Absolutely. And, and I think what he, what he brings to the conversation is the aspect that we don't often see. I mean, we see personalities and we go, Oh, you know, we know that guy, he's the auto tune guy. Yeah. You know, I, I know, I know that, or maybe I saw him on the mass singer or I can, re- you know, hit one note from the, the song that um, people know, but to get to that point, it, it takes some business savvy. It takes some knowledge. And more importantly, it takes drive to, to know who you are and be able to, to stand out in a sea of sameness, which is kind of the point of wh- what he was getting at. He's a smart bu- businessman. He, he's a great entertainer, entertainer, but he's a smart businessman. And I think he could help others kind of develop what their goals could be is just, you know, there, there's something to be said of don't necessarily just follow the crowd for the sake of following the crowd and be your, be your unique self and embrace that and own it. I wonder what Ruffles would be like without Ridges. It'd be like T-Pain without auto-tune. How's that? Did we get it? How's it going? I'm quite well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. This is, this is, uh, it's kind of what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're a busy guy, but 
I, I know with this, the, the Ruffles promotion, it, it, their concept of like owning your own ridges, own, you know, being your own self kind of has right. taken on, you know, a really interesting meaning for people. But that seems to be a concept that you've always kind of lived by yourself. So absolutely. How, how did this partnership really kind of exemplify something that you've come to appreciate yourself? Um, I think, oh man, I mean, I, it's kind of just something that I've been living by for a while. You know, at the beginning of my career, I really didn't know how to go about really being myself. I've always, I, I was always kind of uh, modeling myself after people that I thought were cool or people that I thought were really in or, you know, the, the, the usual. But as I came to realize, you know, I liked, I liked me more than anybody else, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I liked the ideas that were coming out of my head and the feelings that were coming out of my heart. I liked that more than I wanted to be cool, you know, and uh, regardless of anybody thought it was their version of cool or, you know, if they thought it was in or whatnot, I, I kind of didn't, I kind of didn't care, you know, uh, obviously, you know, I, I would, you know, listen to their advice and stuff like that. But, you know, in the end, I just went with my heart and I didn't realize that I wasn't taking that approach until I started taking that approach. You know, it, it was a, it was a, it was kind of a, a blind leading the blind kind of situation. And, you know, all of a sudden I, I regained vision and I was able to lead myself to, you know, you know, mounds of success that, that I have today. And, I think that's really what owning your ridges is. It's really about going with you and going with your uniqueness and and owning it, you know, and uh, and and being unapologetic about it. And and today's I I have two teenage sons, and sometimes uh-huh. they're they kind of like want to be part of the crowd and 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 kind of meld themselves into you know whatever's popular at the moment. So how do, how do you think, like, what would you tell some of today's youth today to kind of like say, no, um, stand up for w- what you appreciate and forge your own path out there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, you have to, that's really something you can't be taught. You have to really feel that you have to know that what's inside of you is better than what you're following, you know, or, or it's just not, and it's not always going to be better, but it's going to be unique. It's always going to be different. It's something that'll set you apart. You won't just be a part of the crowd. You'll you'll feel better, and not only about yourself, but your decisions, your your you know your your livelihood. You know you won't be just one in a million that 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 may be coming to anything that you know. If you're coming to a company to pitch an idea, you won't just be trying to pitch the thing that's already been cool for three years. You're not you know you're you're pitching something that's only in your head and your heart. So. You know, being a part of the crowd, super fun. Not going to lie. Hey, look, real fun. Actually, super fun. But if you want to make a difference and you want to, you know, stand out in that crowd and and be, you know, the head of that crowd and be the, the one that's being actually paid attention to and not just being seen as another part of the crowd, then, yeah, you definitely want to go with your uniqueness and your ridges for sure. And and I know the Grammys are coming up this weekend and and you're nominated. And if you look at like your arc of music, you've kind of found inspiration in, in various, you know, whether it's timely or, or something personal to you. Where do you see music trends mm-hmm. going, especially after this past year where everyone has 
tried to find some type of creative outlet for expressing themselves? Um, I, it's it's going to be right where it's been. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people say that, uh, you know, this era had bad music and this era was the best era of music. And it's different for everybody because everybody has a different taste. You know, it's it's about the popularity. It's about who's shoving money into their songs. It's not about every single era has had bad music. Like it's not <laughs> that's no secret. You know, it's about the popularity we put on certain things. So it's not it's not about it's not that music has changed or music has taken this vast turn into uh, monotony or whatever. It's not that it's what we put our attention on. And right now, it's about, uh, you know, it's about the uh, the viral aspects of a song. It's not really about the sound of it. You know, we're not paying attention to the sound of music. We're paying attention to the viral aspects of it. We're paying attention to how popular someone can make their music. We're paying attention to how much money somebody can throw at the radio and, and make their songs get played more. We're not paying attention to the actual songs anymore. So it's it's not that music has changed. It's that our attention span and our, our uh, the things that grab our attention as a whole has changed. So it, I don't think it's going to be any different. It's just about the tactics of putting yourself in the forefront. That's well, the only thing that's going to change my music. Well, thinking about that, that if we're going to be watching the Grammys this weekend, and, and I know that some promotions with Ruffles will be coming out, you know, through through um, the show. What yep, would yep. you what would you suggest if I'm going to be sitting back and watching it and and hopefully having some kind of snack because it's going to be good entertainment whether it's you know right. viral or not viral we're all going to we're still craving to watch some live music so what what do you right. think should be in my snack bowl Ah uh, I mean me my personal favorites are the, uh, the cheddars for sure so you you want to you want to get something cheesy on there but uh, as of recent, I found out uh, they've uh, been making flaming hot versions of stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, JT got his new flaming hot barbecue joints. That is going to be. I mean, I had that actually at the at the shoot at the at the commercial shoot. I actually had those. That was they were pretty good. I was a little jealous. Kind of wanted to be the one to do that, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like the spiciness of things. So any flaming hot anything would just 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 try them all. The jalapeno ones were fire. Uh, yeah, you got a lot of variety. They they they, they Ruffles has, has really laid it down. When I got to my trailer at the uh, at, at the at the commercial shoot, I had no idea how much variety there was because there you know there's still international flavors and stuff like that that we're just now getting. So it's it's a vast. A vast inventory that they have at Ruffles, so you, you got you got a lot of choices. But my personal favorite, flaming hot anything. Flame, and and do when some people really like Ruffles because they're good for dipping. You know, if you put some like my husband likes to dip his Ruffles. Are you a purist yeah. where you just eat the Ruffles from the bowl, or do you prefer to have a chip and dip scenario? I think chip and dip scenario is pretty cool. I, I think it, I think it kind of you gotta start stacking them together and you know making different flavors and and trying to dip them in other sauces that they're not supposed to go into. I kind of like to experiment, so you know, especially if it's late night, I'm just sitting in the bed and I got nothing else to do. I'm try a couple different combinations. So I'm a, I'm a dipper if it if it calls for it. If I'm like on a plane or something, and I, you know you don't want to start setting up 
you know, uh, variety stations <laughs> on your tray table. But if I got it, if I'm in a hotel room or if I'm at home or anything like that, Oh, yeah. I'm trying different combinations for sure. Okay, one last question before I let you go, because it has to do with the Flaming Hot, because it seems like you're a fan, too. What, Absolutely. When, when, when your fingers get covered in the, the Flaming Hot, you know, they kind of tinge your fingers a little reddish-colored. Do you have a yep. trick of getting, getting it off your hands so you don't have uh, any issue putting it on, like, your nice yellow jacket? Hand sanitizer. Seriously? That works for you. In and out. It goes away immediately. That's good to know. I, you know, I've now literally, got. I literally, literally did this last night. <laughs> <laughs> you take, you get a napkin and get the excess off because obviously you did hand sanitizer before that. So you don't want to lick your fingers with hand sanitizer on it. So you, you wipe off the excess and then boom, hand sanitizer right after that. It's gone right away. I, and maybe that's also the just hand sanitizer just all the time. Just even if you're not eating chips, just use hand sanitizer just all the time. <laughs> maybe that's the new new tie-in. You get your ruffles and you get a bottle of hand sanitizer, and we've got no more red hands. That's it. That's it. We can package it. There you that's go. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Who knew that hand sanitizer could get the red flaming hot powder off your hands? That one I'm going to remember for a while. It really does work. <laughs> well, and it's funny. I had a bag of nacho cheese Doritos over the weekend with the orange fingers afterwards. And maybe it's because I was not out or it's a habit after years of living. But unlike T-Pain, I do lick the fingers first. <laughs> I don't wipe them off with a napkin and then go to the hand sanitizer and then maybe because I'm within the confines of my own home, but it was a fun part of the interview with him. Um, You and I had the occasion of chatting with Baker extraordinaire and Zach Young recently. And one of the things we talked about was his new pass caking for Passover. So let's take a listen to that. I loved hearing about your pass caking for Passover. (laughs) And not only did I love hearing that you were doing it, but the description of it sounds amazing. And so I was just hoping you would talk about that. Yeah. Well, let's face it. Passover desserts suck. I mean, (laughs) everything else at the Seder is like magical, you know, like angel food cake. That is, yeah. Or like the weird raspberry jellies. Yes. You know, that have probably never expired. You know, they're like, they're Jewish Twinkies, you know, like post-apocalypse. <laughs> We're going to find one of those boxes somewhere. Um, so yeah, Pass Kaken started, it must have been four years ago, kind of in that first wave of pie Kaken of like, hey, what else can we do? Let's throw some darts at a board. And of course, you know, Passover uh, is the Jewish Thanksgiving, you know, because <laughs> it is such a food-centric holiday. I mean, let's face it. All of our holidays are food centric, but uh, I think Passover is especially kind of laden with tradition, but also it, it's, it is represented in food. Um, so it was a natural. Um, so I wanted to, to celebrate kind of some of the desserts that people try to make for Passover <laughs> and put them together pie cake in style. So uh, of course the, the coconut macaroon pie, um, need I say more, 
uh, although I have a love-hate relationship with macaroons. Um, I feel like a good one is hard to find. You know, the ones that come out of the can aren't great. Um, super, super dry, and you have to coat them in chocolate. Uh, so the coconut macaroon pie, then the flourless chocolate cake, which became like the modern staple. Like I remember the first Seder I went to and there was a flourless chocolate cake and I was like, this is so chic. We have made it. We wandered in the desert for 40 years and we finally got a flourless chocolate cake. Um, and then the raspberry mousse was actually an homage to those raspberry jellies that are not good. And I thought, how can I make this better? It brings uh, back memories of, as for me as a kid of, going to Sunday school, going to Hebrew school, and then every year in March leading into Passover, going door to door and selling Passover candy. That and, was the thing? Oh, yeah. And it was annual. And it was it was almost like the Jewish version of Girl Scout, Scout? cookies. Yes. <laughs> and we would have the the form with the photographs of the, and, you know, the, the jellies and the different candies and go door to door and take the orders. And then two, three weeks later, go door to door and make our deliveries. Literally, we were like the little Jewish Girl Scouts. I never got that. I, I mean, we only got Girl Scouts and Jehovah's Witnesses coming to the door. And honestly, <laughs> both of them loved me. That's fine. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just when you mentioned the, the raspberry jellies, it's just it brings back such memories for me. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's the thing about dessert. That's why I love dessert, because it, there's such an emotional attachment to it that you don't get from anything else. Maybe your grandmother's meatballs or like my grandmother's matzo balls, right? right. But other than that, you know, people don't really have an emotional attachment to a, a steak. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's very true. You're selling that through your shop. Yes. Is it yeah. gonna be offered through Gold Belly as well? Correct. Like you did yeah. with, with the, this other like Christmas and Thanksgiving? Yes, everything right now is direct to consumer on Gold Belly. Uh, oh, good. Okay. And it's just, it's such a great site. It's such a great format. Uh, it's so easy for us to do. And I think for the consumer too, everyone's gotten used to getting everything shipped. And I'm, I'm not a online ordering person, you right. know, for anything. I like to touch, feel, clothes, doesn't matter what it is. Right. You know, I also like the immediate gratification of taking something home with me. But, you know, in the last year, I've really, uh, really in embraced the online shopping. And I think people have realized how convenient it is for food and for these specialty foods too, that you can get from all over the country. You know, you can get them anywhere and in two days a day, they're, they're at your door. It's pretty amazing. We ordered your pie cake and for Thanksgiving. And, and it, I mean, it, maybe when you have, you know, shop now, there was the gratification of us opening it up and like the big reveal and that first slice into it, it was, you know, it, everyone was like, Ooh, ah, you know, that kind of scenario, but why I'm not Jewish. So I don't have some of the affinity to the past cake in. I do have a question about what I saw in the Thanksgiving pie cake in, which was the, um, the pecan pie. And I always think of pecan pie. It's either really, really bad. Cause it's like mushy and gross or it can, you know, you hope that you have a really good one. Yours in that pie cake in is there's something special about it. Is it that it's whiskey or, or it's like that textural component where you get all of those layers in one like perfect bite? Yeah, it's funny. Everyone always brings up the, the, pump, the pecan pie. And, and for me, it's the pumpkin pie is the star of any show. Um, but I'm from New England, you know, 
pecan, I say pecan, not pecan. Um, so pecan pie was kind of a new thing for me. Um, and we really put a lot of work into like, what, what is a pecan pie? What do people like about it? It's the crust, it's the goo, you know, that's what we call it, the goo. Uh, and then the texture of the pecans. Um, so the secret to the, so normal pecan pie filling is light corn syrup, dark corn syrup, eggs, sugar, <laughs> vanilla, whatever. So uh, the secret to ours, I'm letting it out, is uh, we add molasses, which is dark corn syrup kind of has molasses flavor and vanilla flavor to it. So we decided to make it a little more real. So it's a little bit of molasses and salt because it, the filling is 97% sugar in a pecan pie <laughs> and some eggs. Um, so it's really about the balance of the salt in there. And that's what kind of takes it to the next level. But it's funny, that's everyone comments on it. And we get a lot of requests just to sell the pecan pie. Do so. you sell just the pecan pie? <laughs> <laughs> I normally have no pecan pie no. either. That's like the one thing I was looking at it and I was like, oh, can, can we have something else? And then once we, you know, I got it and ate it, I'm like, oh, I just want that layer of it because that was so tasty. I think, we'll, I think we'll have to do it uh, this year for the holidays because it's become so requested that you're, you're not alone. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. I, I never thought as a nice New England boy that pecan pie would become my thing. Is there any limit to where you can go with the pie cake in? If there is, we haven't reached it yet. You know, I think the thing about pie cake in is it, it really started as a joke, you know, as a, as a let's make a dessert turducken. And as we started developing it and thinking of the Thanksgiving classics and how they all work together and how to do it, how to structure it, create it, build it, um, I actually went back to kind of the classic French entremet, like those mousse cakes, right? Where there's always a sponge layer, a pastry cream layer, uh, a fruit layer, uh, a sub layer, like a cookie layer. And when I started thinking about pies and cakes, you realize you kind of have all those things too. Pie crust, the custard-like pecan filling layer, uh, the cake clearly. So uh, while as like over the top and fun and American as these cakes are, they somehow relate back to my classic French training in a, in a, weird, <laughs> in a weird way. This is what goes on in my head. I come from a bakery background, but also spent most of my time in restaurants. So in plated desserts, you have eight or nine components. You're able to balance hot, cold, creamy, crunchy, all these textures, all these different flavors. When you think of a regular cake, it's cake and frosting. Right. And nothing wrong with that, but it gets boring. So to be able to put all of these elements into one slice and keep it interesting, I mean, I think that's kind of the magic of pie cake. I love doing them for holidays for a lot of reasons, mainly for the inspiration. You know, I think the way my brain works is the possibilities are so endless that for me to have some kind of constriction, some kind of confines or, or inspiration is really helpful. So whether it's Passover or Mother's Day, working on like the spring flavors, um, that that is what kind of drives me. Is the Mother's Day pie cake in a formed idea in your head yet or is it still oh yes determined? oh yes we this is uh we're bringing back the mother's day pie cake and just like we did it last year okay which was actually version 2.0 we did a mother's <laughs> day pie cake and 
three years ago and uh, I wasn't really happy with it. Um, so version 2.0, which is back for this year. Um, I love it. It's the uh, lemon cake, strawberry swirl cheesecake, and then a strawberry rhubarb pie on top. And because it's springy, summery, you think of the fruit pies, we actually do the top crust on the pie on top of the cake, which is something that we hadn't done before. So it's, it's like this crown jewel of a pie sitting on top of the cake. It makes me curious. You are at heart, obviously, an artist. Yes, you're a baker. Yes, you're a chef and all that. But you're, you're creating art, especially in the form of a pie cake. How do you make the decision? I'm fascinated by this. How do you make the decision to do the same Mother's Day cake, pie cake in, or the same Thanksgiving that you know rocked and everybody loved and, and there's huge demand for versus putting on your mad scientist hat and your artist hat and going back to the uh, drawing board and tweaking it, updating it, or changing it completely? Like, do you really, really struggle with making that decision or do you just say, nope, that's it. It was great last year. We're going to go with the same thing this year. I think there there are so many elements that go into one of these, you know, whether it's, you know, three pies, four pies, the different fillings, the cheesecakes, et cetera, that there's so much work that we do on each element because we really do make them separately. They really do stand alone. Um, so when we hit the nail on the head, why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Both your desserts and even like the new offering that you're doing, there's a very important visual component to each of them. Um, could you give a little background of why now so many people are kind of drawn to that's either the super pretty cake or the, the brightly colored dessert, all of those things that are turning, you know, it's not just a plain piece of cake anymore. It has to be showy in a way to, to make everyone say, oh, this is special. It can turn any day. It doesn't have to be a holiday into like a special celebration. Yeah. I mean, I, I blame Lisa Frank and Instagram for that unicorns yes um i actually i actually do think that social media plays a huge part of our kind of the way we're eating dessert now you know everyone wants to take a picture of it before they eat it um the the brightly colored things the goopy the porny things work really well um and it, it's it's hard to work in that world you know because you have people saying to you make a viral dessert or like make a viral meme. It's like, no, you, you, you can't engineer that, right? And I'm not gonna put sprinkles on something just to put sprinkles on something. You know, there has to be a reason for it and an intent to it. And I look at, going back to the regular pie cake it's not sprinkly, it's not blingy, it's actually like naturally colored, right? But you have this like autumnal celebration that happens in there with the shades of browns and oranges, the green from the apple, those yellows, like all of those colors work and it ends up being very compelling. Um, but I do think that this whole brightly colored sprinkle swirly situation, I mean, hey, we eat with our eyes first. Dessert is a celebration. You can't put sprinkles on a steak. I saw like on social media, you're, you're showing a, a preview of, of the new cake that, and, and forgive me, I'm not gonna get the name correct, but it looks as if it, it has like a, one of those um, glazes off, off the side with kind of like has that big reveal moment before you cut into it. 
Yeah, the Spill Your Heart Out cake, as we called it, we launched it for Valentine's Day. It's done so well that we're trying to keep it year round too. Um, I wanted to do an interactive cake. That wasn't like a cake kit where you really have to do the work, but you can have fun, play with your food and kind of get this experience. And for Valentine's Day, it made sense because, you know, couples, you can't really go out to like a crazy fancy dinner, but you can do something fun at home. So we made this cake that, you know, we'd ship you the cake. It's layers of chocolate cake, chocolate mousse covered in strawberry cheesecake frosting. And then we give you a bottle of rosé champagne glaze and a bottle of sprinkle mix that you pour into a ring on top, remove the ring and everything kind of dribbles and floods down. It ends up looking totally different every time someone does it. Um, but it's kind of this cool interactive, like, hey, I did this. Um, and it was born, you know, born out of kind of all of those brightly colored mirror glaze cakes that uh, everyone loves to shoot. And then some of these like tsunami Disney princess cakes too, where there's like an element of movement, but it's, it's just kind of taking dessert into the, to another dimension almost where there's, there's action to it. But, and it almost feels like we're, for those of us who can't really bake well, that we can have that little bit of food network moment, like on the baking championships. It, it, is it, do, do you think that those type of shows that you, you know, you have been very successful with kind of influence what people want to eat when they're going to have like that super special dessert? Totally. I mean, they, people have, have seen this either on Instagram, on Food Network, but maybe not actually eaten it. Right. So it's a way. And again, with like the nationwide shipping, like you can get it at home. Um, yeah. I mean, I, media has changed the way we consume literally consume. Um, so to be able to get something like that at home and to also have like the, it's shake and bake or it's shake and cake and I helped, you know, it's like all of the glory, none of the work. When you judge on different baking championships and Halloween and so on and so forth, you're dealing with professionals or skilled, talented people. Can you tell me what it was like in your head if we had a thought bubble above your head working with people on worst cooks? <laughs> uh, I love I Hey, I love it. Um, I think it takes a lot of bravery to one, admit what you don't know, to try something new. I think the kitchen is intimidating, um, much like myself, clearly, all child size large of me. Um, so, I mean, I give everyone a great deal of credit uh, for just trying it, for doing it, uh, and to be able to laugh at yourself. You know, it's like everyone's in on the joke and you really do want to be better. They really do want to learn and, and be better. But at the end of the day, if you're cooking at home, like what's the worst that can happen? Try something new, you know? You burn it, okay, cool, throw it out. Like it's not like you're trying to build a house where like the roof falls down, <laughs> right? It's a cake, it collapses. Guess what? It's probably still gonna be edible. Like scoop it into a glass, call it a trifle. Um, so yeah, I mean, I find it wildly entertaining, but it's always, I'm also, highly self-deprecating. So I think anyone who can laugh at themselves has the edge. That, that's a good point. Christine, anything else? No, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I'm going to also tag the thing, scoop it into a glass and call it a trifle for my next 
baking disaster. So thank you on that one. Correct. There is always one thing I've learned from the baking competition shows is you can basically talk your way out of any situation. And in technical terms, we call that repurposing. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Zach, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Great to chat with you guys. Since we're on the topic of spring, Easter and Passover are spring holidays. I'm wondering whether you have a dessert or food tradition for Easter that is the same thing you do each and every year, or whether you change it up based on what what you're feeling leading up to, to that holiday on, in that given year. Usually we change it up. Um, it, it would be different, say, if we were going to spend the holiday with family, because if that's the case, like my father-in-law always has to have ham um, at Easter. And then there's a dish. It's uh, pineapple Wait, casserole. Didn't, didn't, didn't we ban the word ham from this, this podcast well, in episode right. one? I did. Well, you don't like ham. I'm sorry, but, you know, he's older than you. So... <laughs> oldest person rules when it comes to food choices because that's just how it goes um so he likes ham and his wife it it loves pineapple casserole which i never had until i was married um also you know kind of like traditional dishes when it's just my husband and my two boys we go a totally different route um we've done i think last year we did lamb on the big green egg so more of like a smoked lamb uh shank interesting yeah and what's your easter dessert of choice or does that also change that kind of changes it it just depends on what we try to match uh whatever food we're doing with the you know whatever the main protein at the dinner is with the dessert so like for example at thanksgiving we serve turducken so that means our our dessert should also be a dessert in a dessert. So um, we serve pie cake in, which is you know Zach's invention. Right. Um, so you know it, normally there's a theme involved. I, I haven't quite thought about Easter this year, so um, might have to start planning on that. I don't know. So that should wrap things up for us. We have uh, you know one of the things about doing the the um, a, a food related podcast or what we call a foodcast is sitting and talking for 40, 45 minutes about food. In this case, the different dishes that you discussed from Universal and Disney, and then talking snack chips with, with T-Pain onto dessert with, uh, with Zach Young. We end with these episodes and the inclination is I got to walk into the kitchen and find something to snack on. And that's not good when you're doing podcasting about food because it only adds to what already has been excessive eating during the pandemic pandemic to begin with. Well, maybe you should uh, sign up for Peloton and and we could go do a class together. Record the podcast while while we're cycling. Well, it's, it it could be Peloton has cycling, running, walking, meditation. I, I don't foresee you doing boot camp, but 
you know, we, we could do some co-meditation on food. That's a good way to keep an audience. <laughs> Christine, thank you. Brad, it is always a pleasure. It's fun. And hopefully it's fun for the people listening too. So if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed what could best be described as our eclectic roster of uh, guests this week, a world-class rapper and a baker extraordinaire and a food personality, it's just scratching the surface of what we have coming up in uh, future episodes. So please post a review, like us, uh, subscribe to us on your platform of choice, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that uh, you enjoy your your podcasts and keep coming back to join us because uh, we do appreciate it. Christine, we will talk again soon. Bye, Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. May I have some more? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.